We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. I've had this little phrase going around in my head from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is, tempor- what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. My goodness, it's been a long time since I've stood here. Last time I shared with you, it was on Zoom, which shows I haven't shared for a while. So I've got so much to tell you, and I've got 23 minutes. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. It has been a real time of shaking of things. It doesn't need me to tell you that, does it, really? Um, we have lived in a world of predictability, of certainty, reliability. I turn the key in my car, and for the most part, it starts. I go to the cupboard to get some food out, and for the most part, there's food there. Or maybe I've run out, and I go to the shops, and unless it's toilet rolls in the last three years, most of the things I've needed have been there. I go to the cooker and I turn it on. There's electricity. I order something today on this uh, funny television with a keyboard in the corner and I can get it maybe later the same day. I can get it tomorrow. But God's been showing us that a lot of these things that we take for granted and, and are certain are really not certain at all. Certainties in our lives have been shaken. The ability to meet together like this was taken away from us. Uh, the ability to, to share the bread, the ability to hug each other, to share meals. Wow. But you know, I don't think it's just been that. And obviously, it goes without saying, and now we've seen nations rising against nations. We've seen impermeable boundaries that have been there for, for years. Just one nation just walking into another nation and, and, and doing the stuff that they're doing. I think there's been some personal shaking going on as well. Um, And for different ones of us, I think there's been things going on that have shaken us to the core. Uh, For Christina and I, um, as you may know, we've had struggles with Christina's health, with her uh, various um, basal cell carcinomas had to be dealt with on her face. And many of you stood with us as we've prayed into that. and some of the time we've prayed for certain things, and they've happened. And some of the time we've prayed for certain things, and they haven't happened. We stand today that she's clear of everything. And uh, that's really good. <laughs> last, summer, last summer, I was uh, enjoying a countryside walk. Um, and then, as you, some of you know, I collapsed uh, in the evening with sepsis, having had an undiagnosed UTI and found myself in a blue-lighted ambulance, rushed to a hospital. The blue-lighted ambulance, by the way, was itself a miracle, uh, having been told that I'd have at least an hour to wait uh, for an ambulance, uh, and you guys prayed, and then one turned up, it just happened to be in the next-door town, even though we were in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Yorkshire. God sent an ambulance when I needed one. Um, While the enemy needs harm, 
means harm by these things. The Bible gives us an answer. Um, there is a lot more to our world than we can understand. And when we see things happening around us, sometimes we get distracted. I'm just going to use a model. As some of you might know, um, I'm a physics teacher. Physics, I'm sure, was everyone's favorite subject when they were at school. Yeah, 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 good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of physics with you, okay? This is not necessarily divinely inspired, but this will help you to, I hope, see something. Right, so, um, we're part in the universe of something called the Milky Way. Um, and it's a, it's a reasonably middle-sized galaxy. It's about 160,000 light years from one side to the other. It takes light, 160,000 light. 160,000 years to shine from one side of that galaxy to another. And um, within, that, within that thing, so this, this is not our galaxy, okay, the one on the left. We can't actually take a photograph of our galaxy. It's really sad. Not even Martin could take a photograph of our galaxy because we can't, we can't look back at something that we're in. Okay, so we're completely stuck within this galaxy. And there's 1.5 trillion suns um, within it, right? Okay, so just to give you an idea of how many that is, let's start small. Okay, so um, this is, this is, oh dear, sorry. So this is the Earth, okay, right? So I want you to now picture, there's the Earth and there's the sun. So that's, that's how big our Earth is. Our Earth is a really small object in the universe, okay? I, did, I do remember this upset. I'm sorry, I don't, want, I don't want you to get worried about being somewhere really small because actually what you'll also see is that physically, uh, uh, our physical location doesn't matter to God. God is important. We're so much the center of his universe, so please don't let this upset you. But let me carry on. All right, so, so we're, we're like, okay, so, okay, that's what a thousand suns looks like, right? So, so okay, that's our sun. And then that's a thousand suns. All right, okay, so that is, uh, oh dear, did you see, that was a billion suns. Okay, so that's one billion. Now there's a trillion suns, so we're getting there. Uh, so there's actually a trillion suns, and they make up 4% of the mass that is our galaxy, 4%. So uh, that's like about a 20th, right? A 20th, about a 20th of a mass. Now... In addition to that, uh, there is a load of gas. Now, um, no jokes, Owen. Gas <laughs> makes, up, makes up about 12% of what we can see around us, right? So all of those visible stars, okay, just go, if I can go back. So all of those visible stars make up the yellow bit. All of that other stuff is gas, right, gas, okay? Right, okay, so we'll keep, are you with me? Are you with me, right? Okay, now, in the, that only makes 16%. The rest of it is made out of something physicists call dark matter. Guess why they call it dark? It's not because it's evil. All right, this is not something, not stepped into Star Wars. This is not the Dark Lord. It's called dark because we can't see it, right? Now, I don't know if you watched the bar go past, but that's the visible stuff, right? And then there's all of this stuff that we can't see. And the lines just keep on going. That was halfway. 
They just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Why on earth would physicists suggest there was that much stuff we can't see? Well, the answer is that when we look at our galaxy, oh, sorry, that's, that's the bar in one for you, so you can see what it, anyway. Okay, where am I going with this? The galaxy's doing something like this. Look, ooh, look, I've put an animation in. Look how clever that is, I'm really pleased. Now, when you do this, I'll just model for you. I'm being a galaxy, right? If you do this, right, I'm going to turn into Linda Cartney, Carter, Wonder Woman. Sorry, just, just some of you will have understood that joke. Others of you won't, okay? When we... Anyway, when you spin around like this, you need something to hold you in. Right? Otherwise, your bits would fly out. Now, let's stop thinking about Wonder Woman. This here is the galaxy spinning around. We can work out how much force you need to hold all that together. That's what physicists claim they can do. And there's only, there's only 4%. If we look at just the, the stars, there's only 4% of the mass you need. Uh, we worked out there's about 12% gas in there, because we can measure that from other things. But the rest of it we have to make up because otherwise the galaxy would destroy itself in just rotating like that, right? And this stuff is called dark matter. And, and physicists talk about this um, as, if, as if it matters. No, sorry, no, it does matter. <laughs> physicists talk about this stuff. And, you know, the thing is 95% of the universe is basically made from this stuff, sorry, not 95, 85% of it is made from this stuff which is unknowable, you know, that you can't touch, that you can't, you can't get to, you can't detect. In fact, there's another stuff as well that they've invented, which I'll talk about if you ask me later, um, which is why it's 95% of this universe that we can't know. Um, right. Back down to Earth. Okay, that's a picture of an iceberg. Now, pictures sometimes help us to understand things. I'm hoping that picture might have helped you understand something, but we'll think about that later. You can tell me later. How much of me, or how much of a person, is visible to others? See, I'm standing here like this, um, and uh, you can see me. You, many of you spend time with me. You know something about me. But there's a lot of me that you could never see. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay um, uh, called The Weight of Glory, which some of us have talked about over the years. And um, there's a particular line in it which I just want to pick out to you. You see, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's what Jesus says. All of that stuff that I'm talking about, the physics of galaxies and stuff. It's amazing and mind-blowing. But that is part of this creation. It's part of something that is passing away. And yet, you know the person sitting next to you, they're not passing away. God's made us to be immortal. He's made us to be alive forever. He's made us for eternity. There are no ordinary people, he says, You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations and cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, 
and their life is as to ours, the life of a gnat. But it's the immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. These are the immortal ones. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Did you know that? God's designed us to live forever. Just think about that for a moment. And that bit that lives forever is part of that thing. This is what I'm talking about, the, the unseen. There is, a, there is a weight behind you that people can't see. Yes, my body will decay. I went over, the, over Easter, I did a, a full medical MOT. You know that what we've, we've all got to do. We've got to learn to go to the dentist again and things, exciting things like that, haven't we? Get our teeth tortured and uh, to give bloods or something for something, I don't know, and various, I won't go into anything else. But apparently I'm okay. Apparently I'm okay. Everything is okay. But that's just my physical body. There's something that God's made for me that goes beyond that. So the Bible gives us some examples of where when what is unseen is more important than what is seen. There are times when it's really important that we engage and that we do this physical stuff. If someone's hungry, we need to give them bread. But I want to just talk about three situations that Jesus talks about here that, that talk about our integrity, really, which is doing the right thing when there's no one there to see you. So the unseen really matters. If you want to look in Matthew 5... Oh, I'm going to read you um, about three sections. So first of all, he begins his talk. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your right hand, left hand, know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So that's our giving. Just think for a moment. How is your giving at the moment? Are you giving publicly? Are you giving secretly? What about our prayer life? When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites... For they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I say, they've received their reward in full. What a great story in that testimony today. When you pray, go to your room and close the door. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Your fasting, when you fast... When you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so it won't be obvious to others so that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who's seen what is done in secret, will reward you. And of course then Jesus goes on to talk about the importance of where our treasure is. In this passage, he talks about uh, how important it is that we store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, because uh, where thieves can't get to them, basically. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The very hidden nature of these habits makes them 
worthwhile or valuable or treasured to God. Over and over again, he even uses that same phrase. Your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Your strength comes from what is unseen. Sometimes I think some of us are a bit upside down in our spiritual walk. Sorry, that's mixed metaphor. But like that, like that iceberg, you know, there have possibly been times in my life when I've prayed longer and prayed louder when I'm with others than I am when I'm on my own. But God wants us to, to be, wants us to enjoy his presence. Don't feel bad that you don't pray more. Uh, I've, got a, I've got quotes about prayer here. Hang on a moment. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Everyone prays, says Pete Gregg. Even non-Christians pray. The difference is that when Christians do, that they're climbing into the lap of their Heavenly Father who cares for them. It's true, you know, you can ask, people might not go to church, but people, do you pray? And we've done surveys like that, and people say, well, I do pray. But remember, we have a loving Father who cares for us. So we climb into his lap when we, when we open our hearts to him. How about this? Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. And the man of God went, uh, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so he was on the guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers and said, tell me which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet, who's in Israel, tells the king the very words that you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he's in Dothan. So the king sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and they surrounded the city. And when the servant of Elisha got up uh, and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, he said, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And as the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had said. There are times when we face impossible odds. There are times in our lives when we look out from that, from our building, if you like, from our veranda or whatever. I'm not quite sure where you're standing. But we look out across our life in the morning and we get this crushing sense almost of despair. And I think there have been times like that for us, certainly, um, in some of the things that we've been dealing with. And it looks like, oh, there's so much. And we need God to show us that right around us, right next to us, there is so much more support than we could ever imagine. The apparent opposition is less impressive than the army of God. I'm sharing the story because I think the enemy sometimes can look powerful and he shouts for your attention. 
when I talked about all those things that have been going on in the earth, I believe that what the enemy has been doing and all of that is to say, look at me. Look at me. Look at how powerful I am. Look at all these things I can mess up. I can mess up education systems. I can mess up health systems. I can, I can mess up your holidays. <laughs> I'll put them in that order because probably that's the order that uh, you know, British people care. But you, know, the, the <laughs> but, you know, there's this immense amount of stuff that the enemy's been shouting at us about. And God's saying, no, no don't look at what he's saying. That's the trick of the magician, isn't it? It's the trick of the magician, the sleight of hand. You get the, the person who's like, like playing a trick on you. They get you to look over here, and then meanwhile they're slipping something round the back. And the enemy's like that. He gets our focus on the chariots. And we can't see anything else. But God is, always has the ability to define a different future. So what happens? What, where, when stuff happens... What do I focus on? Well, there's two things. I won't spend long on this slide. Um, there's a couple of things I want to say, though. Firstly, um, our, in Ephesians 6, we talk, I just want to take the verse, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, when you face difficulties, we can personify them. And sometimes we personify them because they really are personified. By that I mean, I'm having a problem at work and it's my boss's fault. Right? Or I'm having a problem in my home and it's my wife's fault. So, sorry, that, that, was, that was me pretending. Okay? Or I'm having, having a problem in my home and it's my husband's fault. Right? We, we, we see that person as causing the issue. But the reality is that most of the time, that person is not the cause of the problem. The, the struggle, the battle, is not against flesh and blood. And I mean that in really extreme cases. Sometimes people are doing the most outrageous things they should never get away with. Yet, actually, the true battle is elsewhere. The true battle is about you walking rightly before our living God and about keeping that relationship with him, keeping the relationship with others. So we don't wage war as the world does. God has given us weapons that can demolish strongholds. Um, th these weapons are the weapons of prayer, and that's what I want to just kind of come back to today. The struggle is not against flesh and blood, so we don't fight like the world does. We fight when we spend time in the presence of Jesus. I was reading a book, another book uh, over this period. One of the things that I remember us talking about, some of you may remember this, um, but that we had a phrase, what do you want to be caught doing when Jesus returns? And we used it to dream about some of the exploits that we might get up to See, Jesus is returning, and when he comes back, we're all going to know about it, right? Um, so what would be the best thing you could, you could be caught doing? And, uh, and I began to get a little bit kind of condemned by this, because I thought there was an awful lot of my life when I probably wasn't doing anything really that I'd really like Jesus to come back while I was doing, if you get what I mean. Like I might be, I might be uh, you know, I might be, 
I don't know, watching TV or brushing my teeth, having a shave, brushing my hair. That takes a long time. I could be doing ordinary, everyday things. Anyway, but I was walking with someone at the time, and I remember I said to them this thing I was having, and I felt really like I was just walking along with this guy, and we were just walking along together, and I was talking about how life was and this and that, and I said, but you know, what if Jesus came back now and this is all I was doing? It's like, it's not very exciting, is it? And he pointed out to me that, you know, being alongside someone, sharing your heart and loving them, that's probably one of the best things you could be doing when Jesus returns. In the story of Mary and Martha, we find that Jesus has gone to the house of Mary and Martha and and um, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. He's gone to their house to have some food. And Martha's having to run around and do everything. And Mary's getting, uh, sorry, Martha's getting increasingly wound up by the behaviour of her sister. Now, we all understand that sisters can be annoying, don't we? Well, if you've got a sister, you probably understand the sentence. If you haven't got a sister, I'm sorry. You just have to extrapolate from how you find your brothers, okay? <laughs> but brothers and sisters can be annoying, all right? And they got to a certain point where she's frustrated beyond belief. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary's chosen what's better, and it won't be taken away from her. Thinking about this stuff that we could be caught up doing, the other thing we could be caught up doing is simply spending time with Jesus when he returned. We could have gone to the room. We could have closed the door. We could be praying. Jesus returns. Do you think that would disappoint him? I suddenly realized I, my value system had got kind of all skew-if. Somehow doing stuff was really valuable and important. But spending time with Jesus, well... I don't know, that I'd be much better if I could do something, wouldn't I? And I realized that what in this story is we see how Jesus is saying really clearly, she's chosen what's better. Remember that when we pray, we're climbing into the lap, as it were, of a father who cares for us. We live in a world of martyrs and we need to be able to take time and become a Mary. So going back to 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us far more Sorry, achieving, achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Imagine that every time you do something for Jesus that no one else sees. You know... It's eternal. He, said, he just said that, didn't he? In that, in that teaching he gave, he said, 
your Father in heaven will reward you. But when you tell other people about it, you've received your reward in full. I suddenly realized that I've got kind of this kind of weird thing going on in my head. Paul writes about a day of testing coming when the work of each person will be tested by fire and what remains, the wood, hay and stubble will be burnt up and what remains, the gold, the silver, etc., the precious things, they will be what remains. And that's, that's what God is pleased with. I realized that this thing of spending time with him, it's a precious thing. Spending time with him with one another is a precious thing. We were doing that this morning. That time of worship has an eternal significance. It has an eternal significance. People's destinies were being changed as we were worshipping this morning. As we're lifting up the name of Jesus. Wow. This is not, I hasten to add, so the unseen has got a bit of a bad rep. Um, there's a story, the emperor's new clothes. And uh, Hans Christian Andersen tells it like that it's some, some weavers come in and promise to make the king the most amazing clothes. How many of you heard the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he makes the most amazing clothes, but only very special people can see them. And the king goes out, and he's got no clothes on. But the tailors tell him he's dressed in beautiful finery. And then a little boy says, you've got no clothes on. And he goes, and then the whole story breaks down. But some of the time, it might feel a bit like the emperor's new clothes, what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a security that is not based on what people can see. To the unbeliever... The God of this age has blinded their minds. That's what the Bible says. So they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So that's why we preach, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and him crucified. So we might look foolish sometimes, but, the, but you know, God has a, has a purpose for us. And do you know if people laugh at us, they laughed at him first. So we fix our eyes on, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Things that might preoccupy you. Things like our physical health, our reputation, our wealth and possessions, our places of work, our organizations, maybe political parties, our leaders our reliance on ourselves. Those are all things that we, we can see and touch, but they are temporary and they're passing away. Though what is unseen is this inward renewal, the touch of the Holy Spirit. What we do when there's no one there to see us. You know, I might look at my bank account, but God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We remember those stories of, of uh, Richard Cole phoning Avril and asking for money back in the days when he was working in Sierra Leone, and he'd say, I need some more money. And then you'd say to him, Af, I think you've told this story many times, I haven't got any. And he'd say, oh, well, that's fine. We'll see how God's going to provide. And every time God provided, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the lifter of our head. Wasn't that great that, Jesus, that, that, uh, that we talked about that? John brought us that word last week. 
the lifter of our heads. I just thought, and, and you see, last picture, really, just to think about. Oh, having a little bit of a problem with my clicker. Can we go back up a page? Okay. You see, can I see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Well, sometimes there's this dirty, great big wall in the way. All the stuff that's in our foreground, whether it's my health, whether it's provision, whether it's problems at work, whatever it is, there is stuff that's getting in the way. And, and we need to be able to see over it. Last week, we used the picture of being just sort of weighed down with those things. But the picture's the same, really. God helps us to see over that stuff which is in the foreground. When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he saw what was ahead of him. And he prayed, let this cup be taken from me. Yet, not my will, but yours. He could see what was ahead, but he saw something. We, we, the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So we need to pray both into the stuff that's immediately ahead of us, but also remember that there is something beyond. There is something much greater that the enemy can never touch. Corrie ten Boom quote here, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. And if you look at God you'll be at rest. Yeah. So, the Bible tells us to keep our eyes on the right place. Uh, Jesus warns us to not love the world or anything in it. That doesn't mean we should hate each other, but it's about how much our love is for him. So it's, a, it's an emphasis, a, a hyperbola, to emphasize our love for him. And I need his help for that to be true because I love my family. I love my wife. I love you guys. And I can't always see beyond the things that are going on for you to him. But God, need, we need that so that when we pray, we both care for someone, but we see beyond where God's taking us. We can see beyond. We see, we see ahead. We see to something that the enemy cannot touch. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul goes on to talk about our bodies being like tents, not a permanent home. And I don't want to talk about that now particularly, but I'm just mentioning it in passing. If you've ever been camping and there's been bad weather, you never get confused between a tent and a home, do you? Right? When, when, the, when the tent is, and we remember the bear the scars, you remember when the tent is blowing around in the storm, we have a house that is permanent and firm. The world and its desires, Jesus says, uh, uh, sorry, John, uh, 1 John 2.17. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Fix your eyes on the right place. Let Jesus lighten your load. I was walking here this morning and God reminded me of this version of Psalm 23. I'm just going to finish with this. It's a poem. We'll take it as a poem. It's actually a hymn. And it's called In Heavenly Love Abiding. Um, I haven't heard it for years, and I've tried it on about five or six different people this morning. They've all gone, no, I've never heard that. No, I've never heard that. So I'm just going to read you the words, because the words are powerful. It's written by, in the Victorian times, 
written over 150 years ago by someone who was a Quaker. Here's, here's, the, here's the words. In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And su- safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may roar without me, my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me, can I be dismayed? Wherever he may guide me, no want shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me, and nothing can I lack. His wisdom ever waketh, his sight is never dim. He knows the way he takes, and I will walk with him. Green pastures are before me, which yet I have not seen. Bright skies will soon be over me, where darkest clouds have been. My hope I cannot measure, my path to life is free. My saviour has my treasure, and he will walk with me. I just want to pray. Father, I thank you that, I thank you that you bring us to these sorts of places in our lives where all we have is your presence beside us. And at times it feels like that's the very thing that is being challenged and yet, Lord, you promise to never leave or forsake us. Hallelujah. Lord, I ask for you right now that for those that are facing difficulties, challenges, things that are occupying that foreground, Lord, that you'd enable them to lift up their gaze, to see over the wall, to see to what you have called them to. Blessed be your name. You are faithful God. Hallelujah. Just, I've, just, I've just got one last thing. Um, wow. From the hiding place, Corrie Ten Boom says, often I've heard people say, how good God is. We prayed that it wouldn't rain for our church picnic and look at the lovely weather. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather. But God is also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in the German concentration camp. I remember on one occasion when I was very discouraged, everything around us was dark and there was darkness in my heart. And I remember telling Betsy that God, I thought God had forgotten us. No, Corrie, said Betsy, he's not forgotten us. Remember his word. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those towards who fear him. Corey concludes, there is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that that victorious love is yours, whatever the circumstances. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk. Thank you.